Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to R2Cast number 10 with uh, Maynard Hills today, who I'll just introduce you to. But uh, Maynard is from Wales, so I'm going to try something that might go horribly wrong here. So I'm going to try and say, welcome back to R2Cast number 10 in Welsh. R2Cast isn't in Welsh, but apart from that, we'll give it a shot. So here goes. So, Crusoe in all R2Cast reek dig. Yay! Is that right? <laughs> um, I hadn't even said that to me before. I just wanted to sort of try it out and, and get that initial reaction. But uh, yeah, welcome back, everyone. Uh, we've, we've got Maynard here. If you want to just say hello there. Hi, hello. How are you? <clears throat> um, so yeah, as always, guys, I just like to sort of do a wee bit of quick admin at the start. Uh, if you are watching YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever, um, let me know whether that's a comment or get in touch on the Instagram or Facebook Rural to Kitchen page. Um, there does seem to be about 428 million thousand podcast places. So if you get yours from anywhere else, I can sort of update that and, and try and add it onto there. Um, so yeah, if, if there's any questions regarding the podcast from that perspective, just get in touch. Follow um, the podcast, whether that's by subscribing on YouTube or following the, the sort of Spotify. And then come and check us out on R2, uh, sorry, Rural 2 Kitchen on Facebook and Instagram where they sort of daily posting happens about um sort of sustainable agriculture how farms work what goes on and obviously as the year goes on different things happen so coming into summer you'll be seeing silage production and uh, shearing and stuff like that i might even shear one sheep for your viewing laughter um but yeah all that should be good fun but we'll get into the sort of good stuff today which is a uh, uh, someone from the telly on the big screen a uh, mainer howells who is from Wales, but we'll just let you introduce yourself, Maynard, and uh, what your sort of background is. Tell us a bit about yourself. <clears throat> well, I'm a part-time TV presenter at the moment. Um, I was full-time, but then got married and uh, things changed. So I'm um, a farmer as well. We've got about 450 acres here. We've got beef, sheep, and mostly pedigree then. About 97% of what we produce will go on um, for breeding instead of uh, for meat and uh, yeah it's just farming and a bit of work uh, as well that's all my life is at the moment and children of course yeah we've got three young children David and Seanad and they love being out on the farm with us uh, at the moment they seem like future farmers but obviously it's too early to say but they just are committed at the moment all hours lambing time they were up in the middle of the night early in the morning they just love <laughs> they love the life they're crazy at the moment for farming, but uh, I'm so I'm sure it will change as they get older. Is that the the polite way of saying free labour? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure we'll, we'll probably get onto that later on. But I, I would I wouldn't be surprised if the last year has been very child heavy with a uh, sort of everything being at home. And you, yours are probably too young to be at school anyway. But um, yeah, a lot of home teaching and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, I think. To be honest, they are in school now. They've started. Uh, Shona is uh, four, so she's in school, and then Davis just started part time. And when they were home, life was easier because I didn't have to have to watch the clock. I didn't have to wash school uniform or anything. So if something, it was kind of simpler when they were just home with you all the time because they love it. It does slow you down a bit when they're with you, but they also put a smile on your face if you lose a lamb or lose a calf or something. You look back at them and they just say, "Mom, is the calf dead?" Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the simple way of looking at it. it just makes you feel yeah there are more important things in life than worrying over a, a dead calf or a dead lamb or something that's gone wrong outside as long as what's inside the house is okay then we shouldn't have to worry and get down about it no absolutely and that's really where sort of life riches is isn't it but um yeah i mean and that's sort of being brought up on a farm uh, i mean i had had that experience and maybe at the time i thought oh I just want to be in a town or whatever. I want to go to Sinal, you know, but looking back, the, the benefits of it are huge. And I think really looking at this homeschooling thing and whatnot, it, a lot of sort of kids that were maybe in rural areas probably benefited from it in some ways. Maybe the parents are thinking, you know, no hair left and whatnot, but for them, um, there's there's a lot good to it. Um, but I just, I, I was doing doing some research there, Rainer, just before this, and I had to ask if this was true. Um, did you and your partner meet a pre-wedding sheep auction? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, 
um well yeah basically um we knew each other kind of through YFC maybe and different things but where we actually initially first spoke to each other was at the NSA sheep uh, sale in uh, Bill right. and it was just um he was selling sheep I was selling sheep and we kind of our paths met and yeah it was I think that's where it, it kind of first moment I suppose but uh, there were many years gone then since when we didn't actually speak much and then yes. we were always every year you'd see each other in the show and uh, the, the sale and then yeah it all came together in the end <laughs> well it seems that way <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've mentioned that you know bo- both of you have, have uh, sort of farm has been your life for a while has, have you were you brought up on a farm I mean were you born not born on a farm but you know what I mean yeah yeah Yeah. that's all I wanted to do since I can remember um was farm I remember my school teacher the primary one asking me now I mean what are you going to do with your life I think she'd actually given up on me but uh, I just my answer every time would be farm that's all I wanted to do and um it was crazy actually um the memories I have of being young was sitting on the windowsill years ago. You had like old cow sheds where we used to tie the cows. I don't know if you remember this, like chain them basically, isn't yeah. it? Like um, that's how they used to do it the old ways. And um, my mother then we used to put the calves to suck every day, twice a day, and then remove them from them and put them back together twice a day yeah. in the winter because of not much room and things about. So I remember sitting on the windowsill and telling mum, right, mum, that's the calf going to that cow and that's the calf going to that cow. And obviously um, the interest of farming was there since being very young. And my mother used to like drive um, the tractor during hay times and me and my brother would be strapped in then in the, in the seat by her. I think she, because she was so involved on the farm, we didn't have much choice, to be honest. Yeah. And because she used to take us everywhere with her it was a natural thing then to think that that's how we would do you know that's how we'd be in the future and I just loved the life of seeing young lambs being born and calves being born and then hay time jumping on bales and chucking bales about rolling them when you were young obviously and just causing more havoc than being of help but just loved that type that kind of life and I think that's what I wanted for my children as well. And Gary and I, uh, my husband, that's the way we're bringing up our children. Wherever we go, they go. And uh, it's been difficult over the last year with COVID because when we go to the the livestock marts to sell our stock, they haven't been able to come. Like when Mm -hmm. the restrictions did ease a bit and we were allowed to go back to the markets, the children weren't. And they've really missed that. And it's been... The first kind of couple of months, I think it did affect them because their social skills were lacking. Like at the start of, like since they were born, they've been really good interacting with older people because that's yep. what you see at shows and marts and things. But I think the first three months where they weren't allowed to go to any marts, it did affect their social skills and they weren't really shy. They're back now to normal. But yeah, it, it has had an effect on them. And it's been a shame really because that's a part and parcel of farming is that you get the good days like going to the market and seeing people and the excitement of going there or shows and then the hard work at home as well you've got to have that balance haven't you yeah absolutely and I think you know those shows and markets are are, are sort of the the where quite a lot of folk would take a holiday it's yeah. that meeting up I mean I, the memories of going for beef olives at our local market for some reason in my head is huge uh, and and it's true I'm just I'm just sitting imagining a wee four-year-old girl or check but making sure mum's got it all right you're sitting there and you're younger but <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll actually get on to later on talking about uh, sort of the, the impact of Covid and the impact on markets and you know which has been in some ways positive uh, but we'll get into sort of all that and maybe the social impact as well but um You've mentioned that your sort of uh, enterprise is sort of mainly based in pedigree stock. Could you just tell us a bit about that and what sort of breeds you're running and and what the sort of story is there? Well, my husband's always had Texel sheep, so... um, Good man. I like like your husband. (laughs) (laughs) The Tcam flock. And um, we've always had a few Texels at home with us, but nothing like what my husband's got. So um, yeah, we've um, we've increased them slightly. So we've got roughly about um, 
450 taxel, pedigree taxel ewes then, and we'll turn them to um, a taxel mostly. And we cross then some with Baltex, and um, we've got some Suffolks, pure Suffolks, we've got some pure Charolais, Blueface. And what we've done with them, with the Charolais and the Suffolks is put a Baltex on them to have those crossbred rams as well. So we try, we try and keep about 200 ram lambs on every year and they then will be sold as yearlings for, right. um, so, yeah. So that, that's the, the main kind of way we're going with the flock. So there's, we, we don't creep our lambs because we believe then they, they get reared naturally and then we give them food. We push them more then when they're yearlings. So they're ready to take that food. Um, yeah. we have, we've done a bit um, this year. We've just started this year actually creeping them a bit because we had, um, last year we had a bit of a problem because it went dry and we didn't have any grass whatsoever. Right. The lambs weren't eating any creep with us. So we had a bit of a problem last year because obviously there was it was a struggle to get food for them. But this year then, we've just started now giving them a little bit of creep, just try and get them um, started a bit earlier than than usual. But our main emphasis is rearing them, rearing them off grass um, as much as we can. And we think and that's the way then they, they tend to last longer for people. And we've got a lot of returning customers who come back every year then to buy our tips, which is which is lovely to see because when you sell something, you always like to have um, good reports from people uh, saying that how they've gone on and, and developed for them then. Well, there's, there's no better review than customers coming back, is it? You know, no, uh, it's a help, you know. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. You can't get it right all the time because uh, whatever you do in life, uh, there's always highs and lows, isn't there? But then yeah. we try and keep about 200 ewe lambs then every year. We'll tap them as well because we think it's, it's a waste to keep them for a year without um, uh, lambing them because they're born end of February, beginning of March. Well, they're quite old, aren't they? They're quite strong as well. Yeah. As we so um, we, de we do tend to um, turn the tap out to the, to the ewe lambs. We'll give them a blue face and then we'll sell those um, lambs then as tips. So the Texel Cross blue face. Um, they seem to be very popular as well to put on like mounting ewes like your black yeah. good or um the mules uh, the sorry the welsh and the bulers that kind of uh, ewes they they work really well on them so are you selling any female breeding stock yeah we do some yeah, yeah. like we'll sell the ewe lambs then um the textile cross blue face we'll sell some of them they they're quite popular as ewe lambs okay. so like them because they're strong ewes and uh, very, very sharp as well. You know, you've got the bit of uh, confirmation and the, the sharpness as well in the heads, which uh, people like. Um, we'll sell a few textiles, but not many, because we need so many replacements, really, to keep the flock yeah. going. Um, we tend to keep most of it. We'll, we'll cull hard. We don't keep any yeah. um, ones we, we don't like. And we that's our theory throughout, really. If a lamb, if a ewe loses a quarter, or doesn't perform, she will go. We can't keep them because we're into breeding and, and we, we sell yeah, yeah. breeding tips. We don't want to give these bad traits on to other people. So we will cull pretty hard. Yeah. And it is what's the, the cull policy you mentioned about uh, any quarters going? Is there anything else that's strictly gone? Yeah, if if they you know, <laughs> Prolapse bad, we'll earmark yep. them or tag them and at lambing. It's a lambing is the time when we kind of decide which ones go for culling or not. Yep. Um, or if if a you comes back in and she can't rear twins or something, something really bad, then yeah, we will we will kill them. And that's why then we need those replacements as you lambs uh, as much as we can every year then. So what what age are you normally weaning lambs at? What point are they normally coming off their mothers? We're a bit slow with that. Okay. Um, I think that's something we need to look at personally. Um, we leave them until basically grass starts to grow, and that we have enough uh, enough you know food for them. Um, maybe that's one thing we need to do is is wean them sooner because the ewes then they're not quite so fit when we wean them, yep. and I think that does does have an effect then on on the amount of twins and triplets we get, the scanning percentage because it all kind of falls into place doesn't it yeah and i guess i guess the longer you're waiting to wean that the sort of bigger a fight it is to get them back in condition for tucking but there's there's pros and cons to either side really yeah um are you guys using ebvs for your your rams that you're selling or 
we don't but it's something I think that's been happening actually over the years and um, I'm not 100% sure of the name now of the of the the U but one of them the top um, uh, performing Texas Ram in the country one of the top is out of a TCAM U okay it's it's just happened because we we don't actually record any EBVs or anything, but um, one of our users have, has performed really well. Well, her tough has then put it like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's something and, that's because we call in pretty tough. Um, yeah. The way we select our tips and everything, we're pretty keen on that, and we'll because you know there's no point keeping a ram if it isn't good enough. So we, we you know we're very selective on which ones we do keep on as yearlings. And I was, I was, uh, I was reading up again. Just, I tried to research to try and make it sound as if I know things, but I don't really, you know. I'm more um, <laughs> Oh no, I highly doubt it. Uh, <laughs> I was looking that you, you, you have a breed called Balwin. Is that just another name for Welsh Mountain, or is it a, a strain of Welsh Mountain? But you know. Yeah, well, that was something I was going to touch on earlier, and I just went off on on a. <laughs> but yeah. Well, to go back to when we got married, um, it was love me, love my sheep, because he had his tax cells and I had my balloons since I was two. Okay. So um, whatever, you know, well, luckily he had a few balloons um, anyway from when he was uh, very young. So that was something he did, he did have some balloons uh, already. And I think it's, it's a kind of it's a Welsh breed with um, very strict markings. You've got the white blaze. And that's where the name comes from. So the blaze is the bal, and then okay. wen is white. So okay. bal wen, the white blaze. And also with the bal wen, you need four white socks and half a white tail. And it's, it's they're pretty strict on, on the markings. And this is well street from the Towie Valley in South Wales. And um, it, it nearly went extinct in 1946, I think it was, when we had the bad snow. And there was only one ram left in the country. So um, they had to work really hard to keep the breed going and to ensure you know the bloodlines weren't getting too close. So they they bred from different other breeds and got them back together then and yeah. So it's a rare breed, rare Welsh breed, and they're such a pretty sheep and very popular with youngsters. If you if you got um children now like ours, they love it. They can take them to the show easily because they're small. They're not big like a textile. They're so stubborn and big. <laughs> It's difficult for young children to uh, take one of them to the show, but these Balwens, they're ideal. They just trot along, trot along with, uh, and, you know, got put a collar on them. They trot along, follow you, like, well, like pet lambs, basically. <laughs> they, they're brilliant and they're very hardy as well. So you don't have to do much uh, like foot trimming or anything like that to them. They lamb easily on their own. So they're quite popular with small holders as well. So, um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just looking at them there. I mean, the, the socks are quite cute. A lot of work, but you're going to take them to the show because you've got to get imagine. those socks white, which is a nightmare. <laughs> Sitting there with a fairy liquid and a scrubbing brush. <laughs> you got it. You, it. you can't beat it, can you? <laughs> no, I mean, there's all these fancy shampoos, but fairy is what we go for anyway. <laughs> we use it on the taxels as well. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant for the textures, actually. I mean, you mentioned textures there are hard for youngsters to take about. It's, it's hard for us adults <laughs> to, to shift them, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. They, they take you for a ride. Um, yeah. it, that, that's quite a story about the one ram. Yeah. You know, that's you know, proper brat back from extinction. You can just imagine the they're looking after that ram and it always seems to be the one you want to stay alive that doesn't and it, it, they did well to, to yeah. get away from that so that, that's quite the story um how what you so you're selling this all this breeding stock and where's your sort of main markets is it all in wales or are you going elsewhere or yeah well with the taxes um we were selling at the nsa the wales um nsa Event and uh, she still, but um, last year because of COVID, we did have a, a bit of a problem on our hands because the NSA was cancelled. And uh, me and my husband, we spent days and days wrecking our brains what we were going to do because we had about, about 160 170 heads to sell, and we'd have sold about 100 of them at the NSA. So we just didn't know what to do because if a lot of markets then if you took them to like um, a particular market they'd have a limit of 20 rams that you could take well 
with about 160, we had a bit of a problem then, where would we take them or would be traveling to some kind of mart every day? And also we have got our returning customers, where would they come to get their lot? Like yeah. one guy, um, Riga State, I don't know if you've heard of them, in uh, Bala, Corwen, that area there. Um, okay. they, they buy about a dozen with us every year, 10 to a dozen rams with us every year. And then there's a few other people who buy about nine, 10 rams with us. So if, if we'd have taken them to one market, like 20 to one market, and those customers came, then it would have been difficult for them to have uh, their pick then basically yeah. from us. So it was a, quite a bit of a dilemma and we just didn't know what to do. And in the end, we decided, right, let's do it. Let's have a home sale. And we had a farm sale here, uh, 4th of September last year. It was a big risk because it was COVID. Luckily yeah. at the time, it was before masks were introduced. It was before a lot, it, the, the restrictions had kind of relaxed a bit during that time. So we were quite lucky with the timing. But it was a massive risk with regards to getting people. Would they come? Would they come down to Clandestine in the middle of nowhere, really, to a sale? Um, we didn't know what to do, but that's what we did anyway. It was a bit of a headache cleaning the farm, getting everything sorted. We had to create a ring. We had to get people seated, getting the car park sorted. Like, usually when you take uh, rams to market, you just got to concentrate on the rams, isn't it? Yeah. And however many you take. But that day we had to do everything else as well. And it was a bit of a nightmare. We didn't sleep for days, but it was worth it. As it happened, everything turned out well. We had good support and uh, the people who did turn up were people who wanted to buy. We didn't have any people come in who didn't, which was great because of the, the situation with COVID. And uh, yeah, it went all it went well and we had the best sale we ever had. So um, All right, brilliant. Yeah. Good. Well, I mean it's quite it's quite funny you say that. I mean what uh, one of the, one of the families back home uh, sells a few breeding rams here and there, and uh, the they they one year just decided to do a wee showcase in their shed, and we've had a yearly stock judging ever since, and it's it's actually been excellent. And do you think yourself and Gary will maybe do some more, or is that just a get out of COVID and you know? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It was a great great opportunity to clean the farm because <laughs> during the year it's like a bomb site. And um, you do try and keep on top of it, but you never do, do you? But having like a deadline like that was great. Like you said, with the, the annual stockogen, it must be brilliant to have that aim to, to aim for. Yeah. Um, so that was good. We painted some doors we'd never painted before. We actually done jobs that we thought, oh yeah, we'll do them, we'll do them. We never get around to doing them. So um, it's a tough one. We are debating about doing one more this year, um, just to give it a fair trial. So we'll, we, you know, thinking of doing two. So yeah, we are strongly saying that we will do one this year. Maybe um, a little bit later, because it was the fourth of September last year. I think it'll be more maybe around the twelfth of September, something on that lines. But yeah, we need to discuss it right. Um, but that's what we're aiming for. Maybe just try one more sale at home. It, it was something nice about it, like yeah. All, all your rams in one place and it was kind of easier in that perspective but yeah you don't sleep <laughs> days you don't eat much either you don't get much time but i remember last year the um, we, we, we were all planned we'd had a, a like a, a timeline in in order and we wanted to get everything done about by three o'clock and i remember people starting to arrive and i was still there with a the pressure washer <laughs> 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 washing some lambs and uh, oh yeah, you you know you always wish to get things done in time, but you never do, do you? But yeah. And, and you, as the person hosting it, always cares more than anyone else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know they're coming. They're like, we don't mind if it's not yeah. perfect. Uh, I was painting the door. I remember the morning of the sale. I don't know some some rams or something had butted some door, and some of the paint had come off. I can't remember now. Anyway, and I remember going there with the brush morning of the sale. About I think it was about half past five in the morning, and Mum was like. Why are you bothering? Nobody will see that, but I can see it. And oh, it was hilarious. Yeah. Maybe maybe there's merits in just arranging loads of things on your own place, your own house, your own farm, and stuff, because it'll make it make it as tidy up with it. But yeah, definitely. Uh, I planted flowers, and I'm ne I've never planted flowers in my life. <laughs> A changed person. Around the ring was covered in flowers, and uh, yeah, luckily I did have some uh, help from my mother-in-law because I would have a clue where to start. I'm a farmer, not a gardener. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant! Um, 
we're, we're on sheep at the minute. Now we'd quite like to go into beef side of things as well, Emir. But did you did you guys do a live lambing this year? Uh, or last year, yeah, we did. Last year was it? Yeah. Yeah. How, yeah. how did that go? How did that come about? Yeah, that was an experience. I remember talking to the commissioner um, at SBOC and uh, fair play, she wanted to have like a chat with us presenters just to have a catch up to see where we were. And she just, she it was, it was in January, mid-January to us, and uh, she was just wrecking my brain. Oh, so what have you got on now then? And what have you, what's coming up? And we were actually, my husband was scanning sheep at the time. So um, we were trying to get the sheep shed ready and him scanning. So it was a bit of a nightmare at the time. And um, all right, so where are you lambing then? And uh, we said, oh, around the 23rd of, um, of February, we'd AI'd about 100, 170 ewes then, and about 120 of them, well-ish, was, were due to lamb around that time. Well, no, but 150 were due to lamb around the 23rd, 22nd, uh, sorry, 19th of um, February. Right. And at the time, uh, Fermio, the programme I work for, was supposed to relaunch um, on the 23rd of January. And they wanted something different to just launch the program again. So, and she just, I could see that something had really, like, made her excited. And I wasn't sure what I'd said. But anyway, <laughs> after about 10 minutes of asking about the, uh, what would happen over lambing and this, that, and the other, she goes, right then, how would you feel then if you'd be lambing from the 19th on and really busy around the 23rd? Um, how would you feel if we had a, a live lambing program at Chardock? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what to say and I thought how am I going to tell my husband but, um, I went home and I told Gary and he thought and he just said what are you off your head um, but he actually came round to the idea which was surprising and um, we asked like oh, how many people would be here and he saw oh, about 25 people and we thought right okay and oh, one could hold a bottle to feed a lamb, another one could do yeah. put some straw under some small pens or something for us. It could be handy. Um, yeah, so we just okay, fine, we'll we'll do it. We thought, yeah, but great, it's a, an opportunity to do something new. But more than that, just to showcase and tell people who don't understand um, about how things work on a farm, maybe just show them a little bit about what's happening, and also the hard work farmers put into to producing what they produce. People think that farmers get a lot of money from the government and then they just enjoy it on big tractors and what have you. But I think it is important to show people the hours, the commitment and all the hard work that does go in to produce the meat on the plate. So we thought, why not? Let's give it a go. So we did. And um, I think it was a week before um, all the ewes came in, about two, two weeks before. And a week before then, people started arriving to film some pieces with us beforehand. So we only had about a month's warning, which wasn't much, let me tell you. Like, <laughs> Gary was busy scanning and we had to clean the shed and get some things in order and clear up a bit. And uh, yeah, so a week before people started coming, started filming with us and um, we had a, a kind of a committee meeting and uh, people, uh, so they, start, they added up how many people would be here. How many people do you think actually were here for that filming? Well, I mean, you've said 25 and when you said that, I was yeah. thinking it's going to be like 70 or something, isn't it? Like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 70 people were here. We couldn't oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we had a bit of a shock because um, uh, another TV company came just to do a, a short piece with us to like, kind of advertise it as well. So between everybody, there was about 70 people here and it was just, <laughs> it was flat out uh, with regards to people coming in and out. And um, we've only got a small house and I'd opened the kitchen up for everybody to have a hot meal because it was really cold. Yeah. And, uh, we had um, a friend of ours, um, a neighbour of ours, they do some catering. So they came and made like lunch and supper for everybody so everybody came into the house to have food <laughs> it was like a mud bath by the end um but it was it was good but the problem we had was because there's so many people here the ewes didn't lamb so <laughs> they were supposed to lamb on the 19th of february and like slowly then for, well not slowly for four days we would have been busy usually because yeah. of the guys they come all together but they just didn't lamb and you could see they were the edges were full, and you could see that they were about to pop. But no way! 
I think we got to the 23rd, the day we were filming, uh, the actual live programme was going to go out. And I think we only had about a dozen lambs. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was a nightmare. We didn't know what we were going to do. And uh, we were, we, well, there was at the start also, you get the problems on you. And yeah, obviously. Yeah. Thinking, oh my gosh, this isn't, this is going to go really bad. And we were really, really stressed and worried how things would turn out. And um, at uh, half past nine, the program started, no, nine o'clock, sorry, the program started. And we could see there was one you about to latch, you started to lamb. I was like, yes, there's one. So come on now, hurry up, get the lamb out. And so we went through the first half of the program and right at the end of the first half, we went to pull the lamb. So we had twins live on the program. Like, yes, phew, they've had twins. <laughs> and then um, by the end, then just, I think it was just before we went into part four, we saw another year with um, starting with a, with a water bag. We thought, right, okay, there's another one. So just up, I think it was about four minutes left of the program and we went and pulled the, that lamb as well. So we actually did have some live lambs on the program, which was a, a bit of a fluke, I think, a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of luck on our side. But then as soon as people cleared away, I think the last people went about 12 o'clock midnight and uh, we checked the sheep, we went to bed. I got up at two o'clock and I literally, that's all I did from two o'clock until nine o'clock was pull lambs. <laughs> it's typical, absolutely yeah. typical. They all popped and uh, we were kind of gutted, but luckily we did have enough lambs for the programme, so it was okay. Yeah. But couldn't believe like how the user reacted to all the comings and goings of everybody being there. That that I mean that must have been stressful. I mean, I, we did we did three live lambings on Facebook. I mean, it was like I mean I've, I think we had like twelve hundred watching in total, you know. And live there was maybe about three hundred. You you're you're putting out to national TV like <laughs> that's intense. Um, yeah, the, the, the whole live lambing thing's brilliant. Actually, uh, a, a local guy near to me does one. I've been quite heavily involved in it over the last few years, and it, it really shows folk, as you say, how the meat's on the table and, and where that sort of transition from field to fork or rural to kitchens, cool people say, um, is sort of happening. You know, uh, I think they're invaluable. Um, so no, good on you. Would you think that'll be happening anytime soon? Do you think I'll be doing it next year or <laughs> enough stress for once? <laughs> We quite enjoyed it after, but you know, we were just so worried because doing something like that, you committed to it, and you didn't want. I well, both of us didn't want to leave the program down, and yeah. um, you know, there's expectations always, isn't there? Like when you're doing something live, live lambing, you expect to see some live lambing. So um, luckily, we had enough lambs. Like they'd filmed beforehand so there was plenty of lambs being born on the, on the program and calves as well so because we were calving the same time um so they did have a bit of a variety and uh, but it is so important like we're so reliant as a program of farmers giving up of their time for us they yep. you know, open their gates for us to go and film 365 days of the year and when the weather is bad or when it's snowing or when it's tough people do leave us to film on their farm. So we're so lucky and we thought that we should be as happy to, you know, allow something like that onto our farm. And it was just important for us just to try and get those people who don't understand what is happening on farms and just to show them what is what is happening and how much time and effort does get into producing a meat. And the standards we've got as well as, as farmers here in the UK, our standards are the best in, in the world. And, we need to get that message across. It's all about selling our story. And I think as farmers, we don't tend to do it enough because we're so busy, you know, lambing, calving, fertilizing, silage, shearing. It's an endless story, isn't it? There's always something. Yeah. There's never a downtime really on a farm. And we do maybe lose that, um, the connection with our customers, which, which is a bit of a, a, a you know, it's it's unfortunate, really. I think mm. COVID has actually helped that because more, more farmers have turned to social media over COVID, which has helped a lot. And I think the more we do it, the more respect hopefully we'll get as farmers. Yeah, hopefully. And, and you know, I think I think S4C deserve a lot of credit. Um, the Wales coverage of farming is, is brilliant. And, you know, from, from from like what yourself are doing in Fermi all the way to, and I know this is through Fermi as well, uh, at the Royal Welsh Show. That we don't have that in Scotland. You know, there's there's the odd sort of thing here and there in Countryfile and that, but 
for the most part, I think what S4C is doing is brilliant. I mean, my dad is one of your biggest fans in the world. <laughs> he really is. Um, he was like, can you please get her on, please? I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. Um, so spin. What's that? You have to come down for a spin. Oh, I, I mean, I would love to, and he would love to sit in the passenger seat and get a drive down <laughs> two years. I, mean, I think that would be great. Maybe that could be something we could arrange post-COVID. Um, the farm sale, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Be excellent. Can't um, Scottish man come down to a sale. Okay. Yeah, a, Is, friend, a friend of mine that I'd met uh, through Young Farmers, uh, John and Chloe, yeah, they, they came down as a family to the sale and, and they bought some sheep as well. Great, great. Well, maybe we can make it into two 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 Scots uh, two Scottish families coming down. <laughs> yeah. um, we're, we're talking there. Uh, you know, you mentioned AI. Now, a lot of the folk watching this or listening to this, whatever, will know what that is. There's also a lot of folk that listen that, that, that aren't in agriculture and 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 don't actually know the AI what it is or whatever. A lot of people hear that and think of autonomous intelligence, artificial intelligence, that sort of thing. Um, that's not what you're talking about, though. Could you tell us a bit about AI and the farming sense? <clears throat> well, AI is artificial insemination. So um, that's what we do, basically, is um, because we want to try and, and develop and improve our flock as much as we can, we try and buy four rams maybe every year. And then we, instead of, because we've got so many textiles then, we really need a lot of rams. But obviously, for our pocket, it would be expensive to go out and pay a lot of money for like 10 rams. So to utilize as much as we can of what we have, um, if we go out and pay a lot of money for two rams, we can use then them. Um, one ram usually naturally would maybe serve about 80 ewes every year, and it would be stretched out over a long period of time, which would stretch our lambing out. But by doing AI, one ram, if he does his, if he performs on the day like you want, he could serve all the ewes if we wanted, um, because it's not done naturally. So the semen of the ram then would be used on the ewes um, with this process that the vets do. And it, it's, it's quite good with regards to improving your flock and making the most of the, of the good rams maybe you've got in your flock. It can go the other way, mind. You know, you can... Yeah. It was one ram too much and then find out in um, two or three years that is not the ram for you. And maybe that, you know, you can find problems, but that's why you've got to be careful. So you wouldn't use one ram on your whole flock. You would like we do then maybe it was a few of them, but um, it tightens our lambing pattern. So it helps with costs of labor and everything. And like we can be lambing flat out uh, for four days because, you know, last year, Two years ago, we inseminated 170 ewes. I think about 120 were coming in the first cycle. It's not, it's not all good. Um, yeah. Let me tell you, you know, you get problems, you get more empty ewes, you get ewes repeating. But there's, there's more, for us, there was more pros than cons for it. And it's a way of developing your flock quicker, in our opinion. Are you, are you sponging or? Yeah. So we do, yeah. when we do something, we try and like, try new things every year and last year we double sponged for the first time because okay. it would be better to put two sponges in instead of one and um, that's the advice we had from people and we it seemed to work better yeah definitely oh, interesting interesting and you're saying you try things new every you try a new thing every year have you ever tried uh, more the uh, embryo transfer tried we no, no. We haven't gone down that route. We did it on one cow years and years and years and years. Okay. And we had one egg. So that was pointless. And okay. We <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we haven't. And the, that egg actually still hasn't been used, really. So, right. Yeah, it, it's, it, you know, it depends what works for you, isn't it? Um, for, because we've got so many um, textile, pedigree textiles, this is the way we thought would work for us. And that's important, I think, doing what suits your flock and your ways. And our ewes are run commercially. We, we don't yes. uh, mollycoddle them at all. They've got to perform. They've got to work for themselves. And that's a really strong emphasis that we have. And the grass-fed system as well, you know, it's, it's quite important for us. Um, and we don't go for the massive big heads. We go for more of the... We, we concentrate more on the body. They've got to have good bodies, good. long bodies, uh, wide at the top and, and wide behind. Um, and a fit, healthy, a uh, fit uh, ram as well that's ready for work. That's our motto is go more for that and for the more, aim more for the commercial man. Because when you're selling about 
um, well, we've got in total about 170 yeah, yeah. cups we'll sell every year. You know, you've got to aim for that commercial man um, and that oh, yeah. for us then, you know. And it, it makes sense going for body overhead. And, you know, the, the way I look at it is I get it's nice to look at a sheep with a good head. You know, we all say, you know, we, we look at it and we look for that. But at the end of the day, you're looking for body. That's the product, you know, um, at the end end of the day. Um, that's the main aim of it you know a texel it's a, a meat breed isn't it and yeah. if you at the end of the day for the commercial man the head goes straight to the bin doesn't it you know, yeah exactly it's, it's waste really if anything it causes problems lambing time if you've got a big head um and it, it's a problem as then you know if you've got a, a big head it can lead to other problems can't it um yeah, yeah. everybody's looking for different things and if you're in the show yes. the, the head tends to win but then for us, what pays the bills for us is the bodies. Yeah, exactly. That, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, good way of putting it. Um, could you, we've talked for sheep about sheep rages, and, and that's my fault. Um, I always get told them about sheep bias, you know, in the office at work and stuff. It's always sheep this and sheep that. Uh, could you tell us about, about the beef beef system as well? Please, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, we've got about, we used to have about 50 sucklers um, and included in them, we had about 25 pedigree uh, limbs. Okay. So that's the Shadog herd then. And um, last four years, we've decided because of Brexit and all this, uh, we just wanted to change our system slightly and try and get more a steady income throughout the year. And January was always a quiet time and May time. So what we decided to do was buy some heifers and and breed some ourselves. We bull them and then we sell them then as cows and calves or heifers and calves. So we've been doing it for about four years now and it's working pretty good at the moment. Um, it's quite a pleasurable job actually. It's, it's quite nice when you buy a young heifer and you see her develop and then she turns into a, a really good mother, loving mother. It's, it's quite a, a pleasurable job. And um We've got a quite a good bull at the moment, um, our own homebred bull, as it happens, uh, Shadok Maverick, and he works pretty good on these blue limb cows. Okay. Um, he calves them pretty easy. They come, they come out. They, they look like grunts. Okay, they really do, like rats. But then you give them two months, and they, they do develop. And some of the calves have gone on to the show ring. So he he works for our system he, he doesn't throw every calf amazing but yeah. you know, he, he does this job good because when you're doing this job you need something that calves easy because you don't want to spoil the heifer so we'll we'll do a bit of a variety this year we calved uh, 51 heifers and i think 95 percent of them then were limb cross blues we had a few dairy crosses and uh, we had a few charolais as well we found out this year that charolais aren't very popular <laughs> <laughs> or was that are not very popular sorry not was that very popular right, that's okay. our experience okay um and it's <clears> our market as well so it could be totally different other places so if you're looking for a charlie heifer we've got a few here you just said they're not popular you're not selling this well <laughs> uh, no i know but i'm just being completely honest this is how you learn something new every time yeah. you sell and like we told we took um 32 heifers to Llandovery market in south wales uh, last week and um we had four four thousand six hundred for two heifers and calves. Then we had three thousand for another one. Um, four thousand, sorry, for another one. About nine of them crossed three thousand. But then the second quality we felt didn't quite sell so good. And okay. um, the average we had over the over the day was about two, just under two nine. So yeah, you live and learn every year, and I think that's important in farming. Whatever you do, you've got to learn from everything you do. And yeah. We like to go, like, in front of every other day was great because then you, you you saw your returning customers come and you could have a chat with them then and ask them, like, about the heifers and calves and how they've done for them and which which kind of ones worked better than the others. And, and you do learn a lot. And you've got to keep on moving, haven't you, in the farming industry, whatever you do. You've got to keep on learning and, and try different things. And we had um, one special heifer as well. Um, we called her, well, I didn't call her that, but... Um, last year, May time, uh, Fermio, the programme I work for, gave us a challenge. So we, me and Gary had to buy a heifer, carve her down, and we were going to, the aim was to sell her if everything went okay in Llandovery um, in the May sale. 
So we bought a cow and the view was called uh, Priscilla Priscelli because she was from the Priscilla, uh, Priscelli Mountains. And uh, as it happened, she stood to the bull first time, fair play to her. I remember the scanning day. It was like waiting oh, for your own scan when we had our babies. <laughs> and um, yeah, she was in calf. She'd held the first time fair play to her. And um, she calved. We were so worried about calving her because she's a, a limb cross blue. She was quite shapy and uh, she, she didn't lose any weight. We try and like slim them down a bit before we calve them. And she wasn't losing any weight. <laughs> We put her on a, on, a, on a little bit of just little bit of hay and straw by the end to try and slim her down, and she wasn't having it. And um, on the twentieth of, Mar of um, March, she started calving. And three o'clock in the morning, we put our hand in, and Gary said, "Oh, the legs are pretty small. I think we'll do it." So we went, pulled it, and it came really easy. Thank the Lord. And it, <laughs> we filmed it on our phones because the program were following her journey all through yeah. the different steps. And uh, yeah, so she carved fine. And then the kids called the calf chocolate because of everybody, uh, uh, what everybody <laughs> wanted. And then um, we took her to Ireland every mat and the, all the money then that we raised from her was going to charity. And the charity we, we chose was the uh, air ambulance. Oh, so um, fair play, the auctioneers um, offered to sell her for free. And um, the, uh, we, we reared her for free then. We didn't charge anything for rearing her. The company then telescope would bought her was given that money back so that was basically she was sold for ten thousand pound and um all that money was going to charity <clears throat> and then Barclays bank then offered uh, additional two thousand pound then to the pot so twelve thousand pound was raised uh, for air ambulance because of priscilla priscelli so maybe you should Maybe you should follow them for the year every time and get 10,000 each time. <laughs> I don't know. We've done it once. I think we've got away with it once. We're not going to get away with it again because you know what and it's like. I just want to cover my back because when my dad told me about you, I was to ask about Priscilla and you've brought her up and I just want to show you that I have got it written down <laughs> on my notes. <laughs> so if you're listening, Colin, um, you can't get angry at me for not bringing it up. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was kind um, of a challenge, I'll tell you. When every yeah. time we went to the field, first thing both of us did was, where's Priscilla? <laughs> is she alive? Is she okay? And then when she had a calf, where's chocolate? <laughs> It's like in the morning, check Priscilla's had her dinner and all, uh, our breakfast, but then come back and check the kids. Literally, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, brilliant. Somebody else's calf or cow, it's not the same, is it? No, no, it's not. It's not. Um, so you, you've been mentioning throughout uh, Fermio, the sort of show you work for, and I've said that you're on the telly and stuff. Could How how does that come about? How does one end up on the telly? And, and what was the sort of journey to get there then, Maynard? <clears throat> I think it's just um, a lot of luck, obviously. You need a lot of luck in life. But also, uh, whatever you do, I think you've got to follow your heart. And like when I was young, that's all I wanted to do was farm. That's all I had in my brain. And my mother was like, oh, go to university, go back, go to university and get some grades behind you just in case farming doesn't work out. And I was so cross with mum about saying that because I didn't want to go. That's all I wanted to do was farm as soon as I could. Leave school and just start farming. Yeah. But I'm glad she did pushed me to go to university because I did have another insight into life, create contacts and what, what have you. And um, I had um, an offer to do, to work as a runner at the Royal Welsh Show. And uh, it was a bit of a hard decision at the time because I used to compete at the Royal Welsh with my sheep, at the young farmers, and obviously stay in the young people's village. So work wasn't really coming into the equation. But then when you were in university, times are hard and yes. they're offering good money to work as a runner. So I thought, right, okay, as long as I can stay in the young people's village, still compete, I then could work as well, maybe. And that's what I did. And I loved it. It was hard, mind, you know, you had to really work hard. And it was the title of the job was runner and you literally had to run. <laughs> When you have to get those tapes back to compound, you have to run. And I think it was a lesson that dad taught me from a very young age. Uh, when he was saying, go and get the dosing gun, you have to run, you know. And uh, <laughs> it was the same kind of scenario. And I think that's what, you know, you get from an, an upbringing on the farm is you know what hard work is. And like if a you is ill and you're starving or you're tired or whatever, the you comes first, doesn't yes. it? And I think that's what you learn from a young age when you're farming. 
so yeah, I worked as a runner at the Royal Welsh for the company and I loved it. Really, really loved it. Being part of the action in the middle of the rings with the sheep and with the cows and um, just as well sharing the stories that, that were actually developing on the showground. And I loved sharing that with people and it was great. And um, once I finished university then, um, the, the company I worked for, which was Telescope, offered me a job as a researcher. So I started as a researcher and then I had a chance to direct a bit and produce a bit. And then the opportunity came up when one of the presenters was finishing for me to go for a screen test and uh, try to be a presenter. And uh, yeah, I loved it. it. You know, it was basically kind of combining my, my love for farming with a job, which was great, really. Yeah. It wasn't as if I was going to work every day because you were going out on locations to farms and shows and things. And, you know, it was a kind of interest. You'd love being there anyway. And you were getting paid for being there. So it was even a bonus. Um, and having an opportunity to come to become a presenter was just like kind of um, a dream come true in a way, because I remember watching like TV programs when I was younger, like um, Kem Glad, I don't know, you remember Di Jones uh, um, presenting no. Kem Glad. <laughs> it's a Welsh, um, Welsh pro rural programme. Okay. Watching it, loved fairly <laughs> the programme that I'm on. And just always thinking, oh, it would be nice to do something like that, but didn't have the contacts, didn't know anybody. I never thought I'd ever be anywhere good enough to do something like that. But I think being part of Young Farmers, um, it certainly does teach you a lot of different life skills, doesn't it? Like standing up in front of people, doing public mm. speaking. Like I remember public speaking, somebody telling me, it's like cabbage, isn't it? We all hate it, but we know it's good for us. And uh, <laughs> I think <laughs> it's, it's a quite important lesson, isn't it, in life? Um, if you do think, dream about something, well, never say you're not good enough, give it a go. I think, you know, work hard at it, stop, take every opportunity that gets given to you and, and make the most of it. Never be scared and frightened and say you're never to, you're not good enough because yes, everybody's good enough, but you just got to work for it. And um, I think how it happened really is to answer your question the long way around, um, <laughs> was to just have the contacts and start from the bottom because by starting from the bottom as a runner, I made my contacts and mm -hmm. By working hard as much as you could you made contacts and then they got to know you as in what you could do and that if you work hard people will admire you whatever you do in life um that's what people want if you're employing somebody you want somebody who can work hard and have that passion that you have for your company or for your farm or your business yeah absolutely and the sort of the running position uh, i've been a runner at our local show but i mean that's taken like four results about 20 yards and picking up a donut and coming back not quite what you're talking about um but uh when when someone sees a, a kid or a teenager just like taking it so seriously running back and forward that that's worth so much and, and if, if folk keep that up you're absolutely right um yeah so just basically just one thing after another and you ended up on the telly so what what could you tell us a bit about what Fermio is? When's it on? That sort of thing. <clears throat> it's on um, every Monday night at nine o'clock. I think I should have done my research now, shouldn't I? I think it's <laughs> channel one three four on Sky. Am I right? Okay. Colin, your father will know most probably. Oh, I'm sure he will. He, he does it all on BBC iPlayer, but. Uh... Ah, yeah, of course, yeah. So yeah, you can you can listen back on BBC iPlayer, or another option is S4C Click as well. So that's a good way of doing it. And um, yeah, I think we're lucky these days. Technology has helped a lot, doesn't it? And bring and it has brought everybody closer as nations, which is it's just fantastic. But as a programme, what we try and do is um, try and bridge between the farmers and everybody else. Because, well, bridge between town and countryside, really to try and get people to understand what farmers are about and, and the work and commitment farmers have um, and the passion they have for what they do. And um, like a lot, like I said at the start, people have this image of farmers, they have millions of pounds of subsidies every year and then they buy new tractors with it and go on holidays, but it's so not true. And we try then over the year, try and portray the different um, scenarios and, and what people do. Like most farmers, 
like us, if we get money, we spend it within 20 mile radius of the farm. You pay for contractors, you pay for um, help on the farm, you, you, you pay for equipment, you pay for fencing posts or whatever. It, it doesn't stay within your pocket and you don't definitely go on holidays with it because you don't have time. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, as a program, it's trying to to show people what farmers are about. So we try in every week. We'll have three items usually, and one item will be co-farming with a, a topic like Brexit or NVZs or whatever else TB. And then the second item <clears throat> will be an item then covering more of uh, the countryside. And then the third item will be something hopefully that will be appealing to everybody from farmers to non-farmers to just to try and cover a variety within each program so there'll be something there for everybody. It's, I mean, you know, we all consume a lot of stuff, entertainment on Netflix and whatever and stuff, but there's very few industries which impact the consumer as much as agriculture. I mean, the majority of folk are eating something that has been produced on a farm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, and, and the more that's sort of consumed of uh, produce that's produced here in the UK, the better. Um, so it, it's really good to get that sort of story out there. And you actually mentioned there that the money that, that's spent off of farms is quite often spent in local areas. I never actually really considered that, but it's so true. Um, quite local support, and so that's good. Just, you mentioned one thing there, uh, Maynard, I'm conscious of time. and I, I mean, I, as we've probably proven, I could sit here and talk for days. Uh, but um, you mentioned NVZs, which is Nitrogen Vulnerable Zones. That's, that's hit Wales pretty majorly in the last few months. How, how has that affected farm life and whatnot? I think that's one of the biggest worries um, facing the industry here in Wales at the moment. It's, um, it's a big one. And I'm speaking as Maynard the farmer now, not Maynard the presenter, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's it's unfortunate what has happened. You know, Northern Ireland, they've gone in and put and um, Northern Ireland under NVZs, the whole of Northern Ireland. But what they've done different to what we have, they've had, I think, 140 million pounds to help them with that move, where mm -hmm. we are having about 13 million offered to us on the okay. basic moment. So, you know, you're talking a lot of difference there. And also, um, to go into specifics, they're having um, allowance of, spreading 250, uh, 250 grams of nitrogen on every hectare of ground they have, mm -hmm. where we're having a limit of 170, 170 kilos per hectare. Yeah. So there's a lot of difference there between 170 kilos and 250 kilos of Absolutely. nitrogen. And it's going to make a huge difference to how we go on and farm from here on. So although they say that we're following in that it's worked in Northern Ireland and yes, okay, but it's different. You know, the ground is different and the money obviously that's been offered to them is different. And of course, the level of nitrogen, there's loads of, of um, it's not the same and we can't compare yeah. it, you know? And where it's worrying is it's only a few areas in Wales where there is a problem, but what they've done is take a whole of Wales and, and it's kind of putting everybody under a disadvantage, um, which, it's quite unfair from one yeah. perspective and especially when the science isn't there either to kind of back up what's been decided on um if you think about um the natural resources wales um what they said in when they looked into this so the scientific side of things was to increase the nvz's areas in wales from 2.3 percent to eight percent that's what the scientific um side okay the, the, yeah the, the advice they had but what the welsh government has done is done 100 percent. so there's yeah. a lot of difference between eight percent and hundred <laughs> percent huge and you know for farmers who are, are farming a few cows and they haven't got a problem a nvz problem anywhere near they will still have to do some changes because of the new rules and regulations so it's, it's quite difficult, really. And, you know, we'll be farming um, at a disadvantage then to areas who don't have NVZs. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of um, pros and cons to everything, whatever you will yeah. decide on. 
but it's just it, it's going to put massive pressure on farmers here in Wales and of course you can have peaks then aren't you when the closing date will come everybody will be out week before yeah. spreading slurry and when the window opens everybody will be out again spreading slurry whatever the weather will be because it'll have to clear they will have to clear their lagoons and, and slurry pits well yeah and, that, and that, you're right actually I've never considered that you're going to see if, if they're just out in rain and whatnot you're going to see quite intense spikes of eutrophication which is just it's the reason it's happening you know uh, preventing that but I don't know if it's signs of things to come here in Scotland I mean I can give you a percentage of how much of Scotland is NVZ, but I'm sort of aware of the regions and I wouldn't be surprised if it was in the 10% mark, you know, um, and whether the, the decision will someday come to knock it up to 100, but it's it's, it's, it's not great. Um, I just wanted to ask that just to see. I have, I have to just say, though, you know, I do understand. It's, it's not yeah. right that pollution is happening. I, I do understand that and something needs to be done about it. I do understand that because you've got to protect our rivers. You know, it is important to keep, keep our waters clean. But I think, you know, we've just got to work with farmers and not against them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, I, I couldn't agree more on the environment thing. I'm not, I'm not saying either, you know, I think it should be forgotten because I don't mean that. But um, yeah, yeah, it's hopefully there's some kind of plan that scientists are coming up with above our heads, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, um, it's it's been great to talk, Mina. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Is there anything else you'd like to cover um, before we sort of... No, just, um, you know, we're a family farm here in Shardock yeah. and uh, we just love what we're doing. And I think that's the same for everybody who farms, you know, the long hours. It's not a nine to five job, definitely not. And uh, you always feed the sheep and feed and tend to a, a sick cow before you even think about feeding yourself. But that's farming. And if we looked at the amount of pay that we get per hour, it would be, well, peanuts, wouldn't it? I think. <laughs> Um, it would be no business sense in it but yeah. certainly we all love what we're doing and I think if we can get that message across to people who have actually you know over the over the last year we've found that people have relied on farmers to have um, to be fed over the year uh, more people go in supporting local which has been really really good to see and I just hope that will continue after Covid that people mm still stick with this because you know farmers we like we we do farm with nature as well you know as well as producing food we food we farm with nature and looking after nature like we've planted nine thousand trees this year and uh, sorry last year and we've got to remember all although the, all the bad press that farmers have been having recently about the carbon emissions and everything our carbon footprint here in the uk is 2.5 times less than the average across the world mm. And our carbon footprint has been reduced by 10% over the last 30 years. So we, we're doing yeah. good as farmers here in the UK. And we mustn't be forgotten and brushed with the same brush as other farmers across um, across the world. And I just hope that people will stick with us and yeah. support local. That's the most important thing. Support local, whatever you do in life, isn't it? As much as you can. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what, what's the, the, the famous story? Do, do you get... Um do you get some a CEO a, a third house in a different country or do you get a, a son uh, or daughter a new football or swimming license you know that's the sort of story and it's it's so true uh, I've always sort of loved that idea but um just just when you mentioned carbon uh, do you guys audit or no um no we did one oh about two, four years ago I think okay was, yeah but um obviously it's something that we've all got to embrace now I, I believe yeah, yeah. near future but what we do here, the, you know, when you eat a Welsh lamb, a UK lamb, you know, you've got to. It's fine. Not, I'm not offended. Don't worry. You've got, to, you've got to look at what you've got, and yeah. when you buy something local, what that's what you're getting is here in Wales and the UK, we've got full traceability, haven't we, of what we've produced? We know exactly what's what the this journey of that lamb is. It's been produced on grass, and you know, when yeah. you think about grass, eighty-five percent um, of all the water animals drink comes from rainfall. The rainfall yep. drops on the grass and about 90% of what the animals eat is grass. So it's all natural, <laughs> isn't it? well, mostly. Yeah. Um, so when you're eating Welsh or UK lamb, it's produced locally, it's seasonally, and you've just got to think about supporting that story that has happened right here, right by your house, by your home, and try and, and support that as much as you can, because 
you know what you've got. It's healthy and it's safe for you as well with full traceability. Yeah. Well, yeah, great. It's, as I said, it's been great to chat. I mean, you, your backdrop's been one of the best ones and people <laughs> that, that watch quite often, they're probably thinking mine today is one of the best I've ever had. It's like my girlfriend's. It's not mine. As as I told you, a, a half Welsh girlfriend. So maybe maybe that's the, the reason for the good backdrop. But um, before we, bef- <laughs> before we end, uh, as I said earlier, there's sort of two things I always ask. One is where do you see yourself in five years, and uh, the second is if you had any tips for folk coming into, and feel free to talk about farming or uh, or even you know uh, journalism. What what would they be? At the moment, it's, um, I kind of work part-time, so three days a week, um, and then the rest is on the farm. We've got so much work on the farm. Um, it is actually nice to go at, you know, from the farm at least once a week. I think that is important for anybody, wherever you are, for your mental health. Like that's mm-hmm. where the market comes into it, that people, when, when you can go to the market and have a chat with people, it does a lot of good. So I, I like the balance as it is, you know, three days a week working. It's usually one day a week that I leave the farm and the other two is yeah. from home, which is good because you can do the other stuff around everything then. And yeah. Um, yeah, hopefully it'll be something similar to what I'm doing now. But the most important thing, of course, is health. Which in yeah, of course. We all get uh, great health. That's the most. I think that's our biggest wealth in life, isn't it? That our health and hopefully, yeah, in five years' time, we'll be still farming, still doing what we all love: farming and a bit of presenting as well. Good, good stuff. Any tips for folk coming into industry? Just, Just to- yes. If you if you want to do it, go for it. Do not give up. Follow your dream, your passion and work hard and if you work hard or whatever you do you can get there just aim high and go for it because um persistence is the word isn't it i think and if you just plow on keep your head down and ask for advice never be too frightened to ask pick up the phone and ask advice because maybe 90 percent of what you hear you won't like it it won't be of any good but maybe you'll find even one percent that will help you like when I go from farm to farm um, on filming, it's great. You pick up good bits, bad bits, and I learn something new everywhere I go. And, and it's so important. Keep on talking to people. That's good for your mental health and for your business. So, yeah, work hard and enjoy what you do. I think that's a, a great balance in life. Brilliant. Well, um, thank you very much for coming on, Mina. Um, it's good. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed being here. Uh, yes. Hope you had a good time. Um, and and to those listening, I hope you enjoyed uh, hearing Mayner's story. Uh, as she said, I, I checked by the way, it is one three four on Sky. So uh, if you want to check out Fermio at nine n- nine every night, is it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, check out one three four on Sky or uh, BBC iPlayer under S four C. Yeah, check out. See what Mayner's doing. They'll probably be better at showcasing what she's doing because I'm just a person filming on an iPad. Um, but yeah, it's been good to have you on. It's been really fun. And uh, for, for those listening, hope you've enjoyed it and um, make sure to come along in two weeks' time. Who have I got in two weeks? Uh, we've got someone who has converted um, a, a conventional dairy parlour system into robots. So that's the, the chat we're having in two weeks. So if you want to come and listen to that one, Maynard, as well, that, that one will be available. But yeah, thank you very much, everyone that's, that's listening. Thank you to you, Maynard. And we shall see you in two weeks. Thank you for the opportunity to have a chat with you. It's been great. Brilliant. Not at all. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Ta-da.